Hi, I'm Angela Ardolino and welcome to Your Natural Dog, my podcast featuring in-depth conversation with the world's leading holistic veterinarians and pet care pros. Join us every week as we reveal natural alternatives to the outdated, one-size-fits-all pet care model we're used to. If you like what you hear, please make sure to leave us a review wherever you get your podcast. The only way we can get our message out to pet parents all over the world is with your support. Stop barking! I'm trying to record a podcast! Hey everybody, you're Natural Dog with Angela Ardolino, and my guest today is Lee Carroll, who I met him because I enrolled in his medicinal mushroom practitioner course, which is amazing and I've learned so much and I love geeking out with him about mushrooms and herbs. He is a medicinal herbalist from Australia, um, very familiar with the endocannabinoid system, cannabis, some of your favorite herbs, and of course, mushrooms. So we're going to be talking all about that today. Join us after this. And we're back with Lee Carroll. Hello. Thank you. I'm kind of like um, I feel so weird because I've been watching you on video teaching me about mushrooms for, you know, months now. Yeah. Um, so it's nice to actually talk to a real person and not just looking at you on video. Thank you so much for joining me. My pleasure. Yeah, it's great to be here. I'm sure you're sick of me by now watching me on all those videos. No, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not. But I can't imagine what it must have taken. How long did it take you to put this course together? Uh, it was a couple of years from you know start to finish yeah the the recording of it took uh, a couple of months yeah it's an incredible accomplishment i've learned so much but i want to talk a little bit you are a medical herbalist is that what we call you or yeah, what, what is called that's what i choose to be called yeah <laughs> i like it and i remember listening to you on something saying that you had a degree in this is this like something that a person can accomplish in the United States or is it a totally different type of thing? No, there's different uh, rules and regulations in the US. In Australia, herbal medicines are regulated um, as, and practitioners can get qualifications to, to practice. So nat- naturopathy in the US is is well well known and you get like a license to practice with that. So in Australia, we have naturopaths as well, but a herbalist, a a Western herbalist, which is what I studied, is a shorter degree. So it's one year less. So I chose not to do all of the homeopathy and the nutrition. And I focused just on the Western herbal medicine. I did more herbal units. My rationale for that was I wanted to get through my university degree as fast as possible. <laughs> so I didn't want to do that extra year. And herbs is what I love. Yeah. So what's your favorite herb? Oh, wow. The, that's a moving target these days. Um, used to be echinacea. Right now at the moment, um, I'm a big fan of holy basil, uh, the Osimum tenure florum. So I've been doing a lot of experimenting Ooh. with that. Yeah, but it's not fair to ask a herbalist what's the favorite one because there's just so many. Well, I knew you were a big fan of echinacea. And I don't think what people understand is like echinacea is right up there with cannabis as having so many medicinal compounds in it. Why was it your favorite? And then I want to know why it fell the second to holy basil because I never thought you were going to say that. Yeah. So talk about echinacea, like what you loved about it and then what what kind of, you know, makes it no longer your favorite. Well, yeah, that, that's a quite a big question, Angela. Um, echinacea is, uh, was, a, was a really prominent herb in North America 
in the late 1800s and in the early 1900s. And the way that it was made was well, with ethanol and it extracted all of the lipophilic components. So alkylamides are the primary active constituents and they're endocannabinoid uh, mimetics. So the they, they interact with CB2 receptors, so they have a profound influence over the the way that the endocannabinoid system controls the immune system. Much of the endocannabinoid discussion is based on the nervous system, but it's, it's expressed everywhere in the body and nervous system and immune system uh, in the normal daily function. But when there's pathology in other systems, so the cardiovascular system or the metabolic system, then the endocannabinoid system gets deranged. So... Echinacea was kind of like a panacea back in those early days in the US and it was used to treat like an incredibly wide range uh, of diseases. And in the modern condition, uh, many, many patients suffering from from stress and and poor nutrition and just the, the plethora of things that we see in the modern world, the endocannabinoid system gets deranged and the echinacea is a really profound influence over that. And um, I studied it for many years. Uh, you know, I've been using it in clinic for many years. And it's still a herb that I use a lot. But uh, when I encountered uh, medicinal mushrooms, which was relatively recently, um, you know, I discovered that there's more ways to support the immune system. And medicinal mushrooms have kind of taken over as the, the mainstay of my immune support. And I reserve echinacea, which is quite an expensive herb when it's done properly. And there's very few companies that do echinacea correctly so that you get the, the alkylamides are very hard to retain once they're extracted. So there's there's a lot of technology that goes into making a good quality product. So uh, I reserve echinacea now for more you know challenging situations where there's a, you know a genuine need for that very highly specific action of the endocannabinoids. But I use medicinal mushrooms for you know immune restoration and immune maintenance and making sure that the immune system in all of its compartments you know is optimized um and i want to talk about that (laughs) in a moment but tell me about holy basil what are you loving about holy basil because again it's another adaptogen so it's another powerful synergistic herb and what are you loving about it there's many herbs that are whole body herbs and they're safe to use long term um, and they don't need companions. You know, they can just be used on their own. So in the Ayurvedic system, that's called Rasayana and Ashwagandha, which is pretty famous. And another favourite of mine, you know, fits into that scheme uh, as well. But holy basil for me is, is has become a favourite because the the brands that I choose to use don't sell it as a single liquid extract um, so I've been branching out and, and experimenting with other brands uh, in clinic uh, in the in the last few years and holy basil uh, I've pre- predominantly used it as a companion in acute infections where the essential oils very high in eugenol which is similar to what's in clove so there's a lot of antibacterial uh, effects when you take holy basil in an acute infection. Uh, so that was where I primarily used and it. And you're taking an extract of it? Yeah, an extract, yeah. So an, an ethanolic extract in 60% ethanol so that you get out, uh, you know, all of the essential oil components, but then all of the triterpenes as well. There's some some unique triterpenes which provide the adaptogenic properties. So 
When you look at the the history and the use of holy basil, it was pretty much used as a panacea for many things. So it's got profound influences over the nervous system. Uh, it, it has the adaptogenic properties that you talked about, so it supports patients during stress. But it just it seems to be a whole body thing, which makes many of the other medicines, uh, you know, work, uh, you know, more effectively. And when I say it's my current favourite, it's I'm I'm very flexible in my approach to you know like y- using herbs and the things come and go. So you know a month ago it might have been saffron if you had have asked me that question. So I know. Well, I'm glad I got it. I mean, yeah. I'd never been a guest. You said holy yeah. basil. So my favorite is of course cannabis. I will cannabis will always be my favorite because of course it saved my life and I never dabbled with it in my younger years. I just thought of it as an illicit drug until. Yeah. I became an adult, got rheumatoid arthritis, and that's what brought me relief. Right. But mushrooms are, you know, what are my second favorite. And thanks to you, I've learned so much more about them. I just want to talk about what was the first mushroom that changed your mind, that made you go, okay, whoa. I can't stop thinking about how we share DNA with them. And yeah. the fact that they're more animal than plant and how they provide, how they're a functional food and a functional medicine. Like, it just really seems like we should be living, eating, consuming, and, and they should just be more part of our lives. It just seems like that's the natural way. It, is, it certainly is the natural way. You know, we're evolutionarily designed to consume mushrooms and our health is poorer because we choose not to. Uh, but to answer your question, like what was the mushroom? I, I don't think there was one yeah. mushroom. Um, I think as a herbalist, I hadn't really focused on mushrooms. So it was like I was 30 years into my herbal career and I'd only kind of dabbled in mushrooms and I had pigeonholed them as cancer treatments. And at the time I wasn't focusing on cancer um, I, I chose not to do that, you know, in clinic. And th- I had other herbs that did all of the things that I thought mushrooms did. So once I started looking, so it was 2020 when I took the, di- I, I dived into the, the deep pool and it was like a fire hose. I just, you know, the, it, the, the tap got turned on and I just sort of started imbibing all of them. So you know, it was reishi, it was cordyceps, it was lion's mane, it was you know the humble shiitake. Um, you know, they were the they were the kind of the primary ones. But you know, as you've seen in my course, the, you know, the list is quite long, and we're only only just kind of scratching the surface in terms of the discovery process around medicinal fungi. If you're like us, your pets are part of the family. That's why at CBD Dog Health, we created a line of human-grade, full-spectrum hemp products tailored specifically to your furry friend's needs. Whether they're suffering from fear of fireworks, arthritis from old age, or even seizures and cancer, research shows that a high-quality CBD oil can make a big difference for them. Enter coupon code RADIO at CBDDogHealth.com for 15% off your first order. That's R-A-D-I-O. CBD Dog Health, healing naturally. I would love to concentrate on now, and I don't know if I'm using the term right, nootropics yeah. is, are those that are ones that are interacting with our brain? 
Yeah, they're the ones that make your brain healthier and make your brain, you know, function a bit better across, you know, many of the domains. So, you know, mental and emotional health and executive function and short-term memory and that sort of stuff. Yeah, so it's kind of like a, a, an elevating, you know, kind of aspect. I want to talk about those. I want to talk about, you know, the fact that I had a dog rescue. I took on, you know, lots of sick dogs, a lot of cancer. I would be able to put cancer into remission, do like really difficult things and then lose them to dementia. Yeah. And I didn't know how you died from dementia or Alzheimer's. So it became a passion of mine. And that's when that's what really like sent me into the mushroom world is how do I save these animals from this? And oh, my gosh, this is what humans suffer from also. So I want to talk about why isn't everybody talking about these, you know, the astragalus root, the bacopa maniri, the lion's mane, the cordyceps. The rhodiola. Rhodiola that literally regenerate neurons. Like, that's incredible. And to me, everybody should be talking about this. Yeah, it's curious, you know, the I think the broader population, you know, we've still carry this brainwashing that you know conventional medicine is the only way are they even does convention even have anything to offer that's working because in veterinary medicine they don't have anything that's working to offer these patients that's the crazy part yeah there's just wow there's nothing and many of the it's different in humans to animals you know animals don't engage in behaviors that you know promote that sort of you know end result so you know humans drink lots of coffee and long-term caffeine consumption more than a couple of cups a day over 20 years creates an environment where, you know, dementia and Alzheimer's disease is much more likely. So, you know, I guess with a, with an animal, a dog, you know, the, the dietary aspect, you know, the, the food that they get fed is possibly you know, the, the, same the, thing. the big factor and the amount of exercise that the animal gets as well. So, uh, well, I, there was nothing neater to see an animal experiencing sundowners having dementia and and giving them these herbs or mushrooms and literally seeing within a couple hours, making eye contact, not getting lost, not, you know, yeah, wandering yeah. around the room within a couple hours. So to me, it's like, oh, my gosh, every you know, senior citizen should have this on hand. <laughs> I can feel it when I take it. I mean, yeah. I literally, you know. One of my tonics is cordyceps, uh, reishi, lion's mane with the copa maniri and ashwagandha. Yeah, that's a good mix. Thanks. And I can I can take it and go outside and everything. The leaves look, you know, more <laughs> like they have. I could see the veins and the texture and I can think of words that I haven't, you know, couldn't think of before. I, I say it, it balances and helps my short-term memory loss lost from my cannabis consumption. That's how I balance that (laughs) that out. But I Uh, love um, being like at a holistic vet conference and letting them try it and literally, you know, I think I can feel it. You're right. I haven't thought of this word and, you know, whatever. What is happening? How is that happening? How are these plants and mushrooms doing this? You know, lion's mane is the key mushroom in that category. Uh, And the way that it works is very likely to be multifaceted. So much of the focus is on the erinaceans. There's there's a whole bunch of secondary metabolites in lion's mane that are present in the fruiting body and also in the mycelium. And these secondary metabolites, um, erinaceans, hericinones, uh, you know, there's a bunch of other ones as well. 
the list is actually quite long. These secondary metabolites can gain access to the brain. They cross the blood-brain barrier. And in animal studies, they've been shown to increase the production of nerve growth factor uh, and influence um, brain-derived neurotrophic factor, BDNF. So these are like from a kind of a, a... an easily accessible kind of understanding of that is they're kind of like housekeeping programs that uh, allow the nervous system to do its housekeeping, to reorganise the internal structure, to make sure that the, the inside of the nerve is, is functioning optimally so it can bring back online, you know, f- across a network, uh, you know, faulty kind of behaviour. So it's, it has a kind of restorative property. But I think it's much more than that. Um, when, when you look at the early research on lion's mane, uh, in elderly people that have got mild cognitive impairment, when they take three grams of whole lion's mane fruiting body a day for 16 weeks, um, their mini mental state exam scores improve. Um, and all of those things you were saying in, in quite elderly patients, you know, they, they start to become more mobile, they become more aware of their environment, you know, they, they, they're more enjoyment in food. There's all of these d- domains that get improved. So in lion's mane fruiting body, there's not much RNA-CNA, which is where all of the research interest is. That's present uh, in high quanti- or in higher quantities in the, in the mycelium. So for those, for those early lion's mane trials to have had that cognitive benefit, it can't really be related to those secondary metabolites. There's got to be another explanation because the fruiting body's low in those particular constituents. So the polysaccharides might play a role. So polysaccharides get taken up in the, in the small intestine and then the larger polysaccharides get trafficked uh, to bone marrow and other places in the, in the body. And when they're in the bone marrow, they, they can change the behaviour uh, of the the progeny that are being produced, you know, by those stem cells, so red blood cells, white blood cells, the cells that get born from those um, affected stem cells are better able to do their job properly. So there's there might be some trafficking of some uh, immune cells from the skull, like into the brain, to calm down the immune system, to quieten down overly excited astrocytes or, or glial cells, for example. So that, that might be a mechanism. And I think that's possibly a, a, an underrated approach. There's another, another mushroom which has got nootropic properties called tremella. And tremella polysaccharide exerts its fl- influences over the brain, um, you know, via its polysaccharide. So that might be a possibility. Um, but the other possibility is that the... The combination of all of the polysaccharides when they get to the gut, uh, and lion's mane is is pigeonholed as a nootropic, but it's a fantastic immune herb. It's fantastic for inflammatory gut diseases and calming down uh, an inflamed gut and an unhealthy gut. And it's mm-hmm. significantly prebiotic, so it's it's um, it's feeding all of the beneficial bacteria. So the the gut-brain connection is well understood now. So there might be some direct influence um, from the metabolites uh, that are being produced as a result of the fermentation in the large intestine, which then have an influence over the brain. And when we talk about prebiotic effects, most of the discussion is around short-chain fatty acids, so, you know, butyrate, acetate, propionate. But uh, when you get into the weeds of the fermentation aspects, uh, 
when you're consuming a whole mushroom, there's literally uh, like a, an alphabet of different volatile molecules that are getting produced. And You mean like the fermentation meaning after we eat it? After we eat it, yeah. So once, okay. it, once it gets to our large intestine, we can't digest those polysaccharides and then they get fermented by the beneficial bacteria. And then the byproducts of that fermentation um, exert quite significant, uh, you know, it, enhancements and improvements on the way, not just how the gut works, but, you know, many aspects of the body, so including the brain. So they're my kind of three aspects that might play into how, you know, these mushrooms have got such, you know, you know beneficial, you know, uh, aspects. I know that you like to eat them, cook cook them up and eat them. And, you know, I share your message with everybody I come across, you know, three grams, three times a week is going to feed that, that gut for 13 days. Um, And then the extraction of them as medicine. What is the difference? Is that, is that the same mentality that I should be using with herbs? Like sometimes we have dry herbs and then other times we have extraction of the herbs. Is it the same type of thing? Is it One's feeding the gut and is nutrients and the other one is medicine or is it different? Like when do I know to use holy basil extract versus holy basil dried? Right. Well, that's actually a good question. We need to treat mushroom, even though mushrooms get encompassed in herbal medicine and, you know, when when those concepts were created, there was no appreciation that mushrooms were kind of a different um, kind of kingdom of life. So we really need to treat mushrooms as a separate category when we're thinking about this particular aspect. And when we extract a herb, we're typically going after the secondary metabolites and they're, they're what um, kind of drive the bulk of, of the medicine. Um, some herbs have got polysaccharides like mushrooms have. Astragalus is a good example of that. Um, epimedium, the horny goat weeds, a, a, another good example. But the, the focus in, in herbal medicine is not always on those polysaccharides. It's on the secondary metabolites. But with a mushroom, every mushroom has got, you know, a significant amount of medicinal benefit a, a, associated with all of its complex polysaccharides. So there's naturally occurring alpha-glucans, beta-glucans, there's chitin, and then there's chitin-glucan complexes. Um, and... When you extract a mushroom, all of the insoluble stuff, which is prebiotic and therapeutically relevant, gets left behind. So when we're using just mushroom extracts, there's, there's a lot of waste, which is highly beneficial. Uh, and that this is why I recommend patients should be taking the, the appropriate extract for the condition that's being managed or the, or the health aspect that's being focused on as well as consuming mushrooms regularly to make sure we get the prebiotic effect of all of the complex fibers that I just mentioned. So should we be doing the same thing with herbs? And to a lesser extent, yeah, we should be doing the same things with herbs, but it's not, it's not as important with a herb to do that. So it's, it's, it's okay to be focused on, on the extracts. But herbal medicine is a really challenging uh, you know, thing to get right, and honouring the honouring nature, honouring the tradition, and making sure that the the active constituents uh, from that herb are present in the finished product is an area where where um, you know there's there's lots of you know quality issues, and many herbs that are being sold in the market um, as extracts 
don't reflect, you know, how they're sold, um, uh, how they should be used in clinic. And I, I had a long career with Mediherb, which was one of the primary, or probably the uh, number one practitioner-only herbal medicine company in Australia. So I got really well-schooled in understanding quality and, and uh, you know, honouring the tradition. So, so it's a really vexing area, actually, and... Um, it, it makes it hard to be a practitioner uh, and not understand, uh, you know, the, the, the nuances. So this is, was a driving force actually behind the, the, the coursework that I've produced. My Mastering Medicinal Mushrooms 1 is all about the foundation and the science of mushrooms and what makes them work. It's less about kind of how to do it in clinic. And I, I wanted to put that down as a benchmark so that there wouldn't be any misunderstanding around, you know, what it is in the mushroom that makes it work. Right. No, I, I, there's nothing more fun than trusting what an expert like you says, using it, it, ha, it works. And then I want to know what the, how, how did it work? I yeah. want to know how. Yeah. And, and tell me about your um, experience with my favorite herb, cannabis. Well, cannabis changed my life, actually. I was. Oh, uh, in a good way, I hope. Oh, in a good way. Yeah. Uh, good. I had a, you know, a, I had the, the average kind of upbringing, but there was a bit of tragedy in my life. My mum died young and uh. you know, life life was just pretty miserable for, for quite a few years. And uh, when I, I finally le- left home, I, I had uh, an abusive stepmother and uh, I left home at age 18 uh, and, and I got into college, university here in Australia. I deferred for a year so I could go and work and earn some money and... Uh, very soon after I left home, I, I discovered cannabis and the joy of, of being stoned and the, the, the reality that there was just so much more to life that I was missing out on. And it, it totally changed the course of my life and the direction of it. I got a little bit too attached to it. So I became, you know, psychologically, you know, dependent on it. Um, I was getting stoned every day at college and I wasn't doing very well. So I decided that wasn't a really good plan, and then I, I, uh, I calmed, I slowed down on that, and uh, only in the last ten years I've kind of embraced it more fully, and and uh, I I make my own uh, ethanolic extracts um, nice. from from weed that I grow myself in the yard, and oh uh, beautiful, nothing better than to go out on a Sunday morning and hop on my uh, bike and go for a three or four hour ride and and uh, just meditate and, and allow all of the thoughts and the creative processes bubble up. Yeah. Ah, I love it. It's my favorite. I didn't, um, I didn't use it younger because I, you know, I literally, my mother worked for the organization that started the just say no to drugs campaign oh, here in oh the no. United States. <laughs> and, you know, then college, I just, it really wasn't until I was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis and people were really like, this will really help your pain and me taking it. And I, my disease is not advanced at all. Wow, that's and fantastic. my mood, my stress and anxiety levels, everything are, I don't know how, I'm kind of glad I didn't discover it earlier because the same thing probably, I can't even imagine how much it would have helped me in my earlier, but I'm glad I have it now as my, my main medicine, my only medicine, cannabis and mushrooms are my favorite. 
we're out of time. I really enjoyed our conversation. It was really nice to be able to talk to you in person. I keep missing your Monday Zoom <laughs> meetings every time. I'm like, uh, ah. oh, I don't I, know if you know this. I sold everything and moved out of Florida, and I'm in an RV. I'm actually in New York City right now, but oh wow, you know, traveling. That's so intrepid. that's why I, yeah. I know I keep missing, and I oh. just got to go, you know, foraging and. Oregon and Northern California, and they oh. just had their first rain. I have to send you the pictures of how what, magical is that? Oh, I had no yeah. idea reishi grew like that in Northern yeah. in the redwoods. It doesn't even grow on redwoods, but it was everywhere and so yeah. much red belted conch. It was so beautiful, and I thought of you so many times. <laughs> <laughs> But I'm really enjoying your course. Tell people how a little bit about your course because I heard a rumor that you were going to make maybe a pet. I keep saying pet parent. That's what me and Joni keep calling it, a pet <laughs> parent course. But like someone that doesn't necessarily want to practice but wants to learn more about it. And what if a vet does want to know or a practitioner does want to practice or, or bring this into their practice, tell them a little bit about your course and where they can find out more about it. The website is herbameditari.com.au. If you Google Lee Carroll Herbalist, you, you might get a, a lead there as well. So as I was saying earlier, the the course is designed, the Mastering Medicinal Mushrooms 1, uh, the foundation, is designed to be a comprehensive background and understanding of, of everything about medicinal mushrooms that makes them relevant in a clinical setting. So it goes through, you know, the, the history about why mushrooms and then it dissects all of the active constituents. So I do a deep dive into polysaccharides and ergotheanine and mycosterols, uh, et cetera, and then all of the, the, the unique individual things that are kind of smaller topics. Uh, and then I talk about how those constituents work, so how do polysaccharides interact with receptors, uh, for example. Uh, there's a big piece on quality so that, that practitioners can understand, you know, where all of the pitfalls are, and there's lots of pitfalls. And then the final module is is a dis, is a thirty minute approximate discussion on ten individual mushrooms. So that that's kind of part one. Part two I'm working on at the moment will be deep dives into individual mushrooms. So I'm working on reishi at the moment. On the the working document that I use is about twenty five thousand words at the moment. So I'm just about ready to pull the trigger on starting to record that. Oh. Awesome. But the public course that you were just referring to, um, I've realized that, uh, you know, my patients want to know about mushrooms and some of them, uh, you know, want to have a bit more of an in-depth understanding and I don't want to waste time every every session, you know, explaining how mushrooms work. So it, <laughs> it, it would make sense to have a, a video which did that for me. So I'm going to record a, a short 30-minute video for a patient and awesome. that, that will be free. It'll be the most shared video ever. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I hope so. And then I'm going to do a like an inexpensive um, two or three hour introduction to um, for lay people or for, for practitioners that don't want to, you know, go through the, the rigor of something that's a bit more um, at kind of like a university or a college kind of standard. And I'm going to have that available by um, February next year. Awesome. Wonderful. Well, thank you for teaching us all about these incredible fungi. I enjoy your course very much and I'm going to spread your knowledge to everyone <laughs> and help so many people. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks, Angela. Thanks for having me. 
Thanks for listening to today's episode. Please make sure to leave us a review wherever you're listening from. This is the best way to help pet parents like you find these episodes and get access to all our content. Follow me on Facebook and Instagram at Your Natural Dog and at AngelaArtolino.com. Introducing MycoDog, an award-winning line of medicinal mushroom extracts combined with adaptogens like ashwagandha, astragalus root, and bacopa monieri, made specifically for your pets. When it comes to mushrooms, sourcing really matters. Unlike other products on the market that are grown in China or elsewhere, the mushrooms in MycoDog tinctures are grown here in the United States to the highest quality standards. MycoDog offers three formulas designed to support senior dogs, as well as those suffering from dementia and canine cognitive disorder, breathing and respiratory issues, or autoimmune diseases and cancer. Use coupon code YNDPODCAST at mycodog.com for 10% off these fantastic fungi.